welcome to The Green Rush, a podcast about the intersection of cannabis, the capital markets, and culture. On a weekly basis, hosts Ann Donahoe and Lewis Goldberg of KCSA Strategic Communications speak with the business leaders, financial experts, cultural icons, legislators, and generally interesting people moving the cannabis industry forward. This week, Lewis and Ann are speaking with Matt Gerson, founder and CEO of Foria Wellness, a cannabis company that beautifully blends the worlds of marijuana and sexuality. This is a fascinating conversation about a topic that's not often talked about, but one that should be. A quick word of note here, today's show does, by design, cover a lot of adult sexual topics, so keep that in mind as you roll forward. Now on to our interview with Lewis and Matt. Anne. Hey, Lewis. Let's talk about sex, baby. Ugh. Yeah, I went there. I, I That was me. I went right there. Um, and the reason why I went there is because um, we've got, like, the coolest guy in all of cannabis who is on this week's episode. His name is? Matt Gerson. Okay. His <laughs> name is Matt. I was waiting for you to pick something up. But all right. I'm just going to go. I'm just going to go. What's going on? I did not, ha I, I did not have a stroke. Um, no, we spoke with Matt Gerson, the founder and CEO of Foria Wellness, which is one of the coolest companies in cannabis. I mean, it's a, a sexual health company. Um, and Matt's you know, a, a, a phenomenal guy. Um, I, over the, the course of the last couple of weeks have had the chance to, to meet him and hang out with him. Um, and you know, this is a man who has his heart in the right place and is building a company, a, a purpose-driven intentional company. And it's really, I, I find him what he's doing to be amazing. Um, I'm a, a big fan of, 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 of him personally um, and clearly um, of his products. And I don't think that that's going to make anybody comfortable at all with me saying. Sure that. isn't. Sure isn't, Lewis. <laughs> Needless to say, I spent some of this interview under the table. But it's all good. Matt was awesome. And now... Without further ado, or awkwardness, because it can't get more Oh, no, awkward. there's plenty of awkwardness. There's plenty of awkwardness. No, but this is a really cool interview. Matt's a great guy, um, and I think you'll learn a lot. Enjoy. Matt, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure. I can tell you I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, Um Ann and I have been in the cannabis industry for five or six years now. Um, and for a few years, I've been aware of Foria. Um, I've followed you guys on, on Instagram. I've seen your press. Um, and while it is hard for me to give props to another PR firm, whoever you guys are working with is doing a pretty good job. Um, but, you know, we've talked with everybody from Congress people to Mike Tyson and Ziggy Marley, Bruce Linton from Canopy, you name it, but we've never talked about sex before. Well, formerly from Canopy, and he'll tell you why, and he'll tell anybody why for, you know, we'll tell his story for joints. Um, but but you guys are different. You know, you are a company that sits at the, the intersection of women's empowerment, sexuality, cannabis, and there's, there is just so much to unpack here. We've quietly had our heads between our legs for the past six years. <laughs> We've tried it. We've kept things on the down low and now all of a sudden everyone's interested in sex and cannabis. Who, who would have thought? But I'm happy to be here. and I'm really thrilled you guys are taking an interest in uh, some of the work we're doing for the industry. Well, I, what I want to talk about first is that, um, that you're a guy. Um, that's not a surprise, but I'm assuming you've also never had a menstrual cramp. Um, so how is it that you got to be running a company that is so focused on women and their needs? Well, my, my mother asked me that question, I think, just as recently as last week. Um, <laughs> no, it's, 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 a, it's an important question. It's a good one. And this, this venture um, and why the plants chose me, as it were, to sort of shepherd this fairly um, 
ancient information, if I might say so, into the modern era. It's been the honor and sort of the joy of my my career and my life to sort of be in this position and to be supported by such remarkable women um, on our leadership team to store this really important information out into the modern cannabis space. You know, in terms of why why was me being a guy, you know, before I was got into cannabis and, and sexuality, cannabis and sexual wellness, I um I was focusing on servicing the other um, biological sex. So I had a condom company. And uh, that condom company, you know, condom is, I don't encourage any of your listeners to get into the condom industry. It's a, it's a really unpleasant industry to be in. Um, it's a, it's a hyper-regulated. It's, it's pretty much owned by one or two ma- major brands. It's a very hard space to play in. Um, Was that a pun intended, by the way? We will have puns um, in ways that we, you can never imagine today. So, you know, gird your loins for puns. lots of puns. Yeah. But in all honesty, there was... Uh, in, in my life, there was a moment in time where I was looking at uh, global health equity, and I got really inspired by the work of uh, Dr. Paul Farmer, who writes about the, the poorest of the poor and their access to the best possible medical care and why that's important and why that should be a human right. And he started an organization called uh, Partners in Health, which has a really beautiful business model, if, if you may, in terms of uh, training doctors in regions of the world where there might not be a lot of doctors, and then leaving and going to another country and training doctors. Uh, so it's really an empowerment model. And uh, I had this strange idea to take the Tom shoe model, which you're probably all familiar with now, which is you buy a pair of shoes and they give a pair of shoes, um, which, you know, in concept has a lot of upside and in practice, I think, has a lot of hair on it, um, which I learned, you know, through doing the similar model with condoms. You know, so we launched a, a condom brand called Sir Richard's and it was a buy one, give one uh, model. So we've also launched a brand in Haiti, in Creole. And, you know, tried to sort of meet that unmet demand for free contraceptives in a part of the world where there was a lot of risk exposure to preventable forms of human suffering, uh, like HIV and STIs. Uh, so it was, it was a real passion project for me. I was really uh, happy to be involved in, in getting that off the ground. So I was in the sex space, right, but in an odd way. And I was able to travel around a fair amount, mostly talking to millennials who were growing up in a sexual, you know, there's the sexual awareness of, of the modern child is very, very different than if you grew up anywhere pre-internet, as you can imagine. Um, but interestingly enough, a lot of the same tropes around sexual inequality, around pleasure, the pleasure gap, were still pervasive. So, you know, in my time doing Sir Richards over those few years, I, I became aware of this, the, the difference between the number of male sexual enhancement drugs that were passing through the FDA um, halls and going out to market and the number of, of products that were being made available to women. And the numbers as early as a couple of years ago were dismal. It was like 23 to zero, 23 to zero. So, you know, half of the human population was just not being provided with options to, you know, a- address sexual challenges, whether that was physical challenges around pain and discomfort or just a, a natural progression of age and the challenges that age presents in the, in the, in the context of intimacy. So that was where the seed for me, I think, was planted. I was in Boulder, Colorado for uh, doing that work. I moved the business out to L.A. Um, and I learned about, I sort of fell into the cannabis space around, what was that, six or seven years ago now. And I think I was kind of primed to have this idea to take this known historical benefit of cannabis in the, in the bedroom and to bring it into uh, a topical, into a lubricant, if you may. So. You know, it's, it's interesting is that people's like, oh, you guys invented this and you, you created this product. And the reality is that we, we didn't really invent this. Um, it's been around for, what, probably five to 10,000 years of the, you know, the collective wisdom is there. From a, from, right? But from a topicals perspective, because, you know, cannabis has been used from a wellness perspective, like you said, five, 10,000 years. Enough, yeah. but- In terms of, you know, using cannabis for, for relaxation to to get more into the, your body, to get more into the present, to deal with anxiety and stress. And all of these things are, have been very well known and, and had just been documented from folk healer to folk healer for thousands of years. Um, and that's independent of all the, all the medical and therapeutic benefits that, that have been documented. In, in terms of it was someone doing an extraction and putting it on as a topical, okay, fine, we'll, we'll take the credit for that. Uh, we might be one of the first uses of a topical, uh, topical cannabis product for, for sexual enhancement, which... You know, the delivery system makes a huge difference in the context of sex. 
and we can talk about that today. Well, let's talk about that because you know you you, you have lots of different form factors, um, and there are topicals that are designed for uh, you know women's genitalia. Um, you have suppositories to go you know up your ass. How, can you talk about how you did the clinical testing or what the clinical model was to make sure that one, it was safe and two, if it, it was effective, like how did you do that? Right. So, you know, all, what we had to go on, which this entire industry has to go on is the available published evidence of research, which as you know, is, is fairly nominal um, because of the way the, the government has uh, categorized cannabis throughout the past five decades. It's been extraordinarily hard to research. And sexual, the use of cannabis for sex has not been on the top of anyone's charts in terms of uh, something they want to research for. So we looked more at the historical record of in terms of safety and efficacy and the potential that cannabis, which we know is extraordinarily non-toxic, it's extraordinarily safe, even in very high doses, um, could possibly be used for sexual enhancement. And, you know, when we set out it was a fairly narrow casted notion of what the benefits might be. We thought pleasure enhancement, you know, for, for in general terms, you know, we could get, we could use the fact that there's blood flow, there's vasodilation, there's the movement of, of blood and energy in the body, uh, perhaps through the genitals that could help with uh, sensitivity, that could help with an, an enhanced sensation. There's smooth muscle tissue relaxation. Uh, we know that cannabinoids can present that to the body. And, I think more fundamentally, we know that stress is the killer of libido. And in the modern era, I've never, I really haven't met anyone who's not extraordinarily stressed out. And so, you know, those, those conditions and those factors led us to think, well, there, there's, there's a good evidence here that there's, there's going to be some benefit. So how, how can we do this clinically? Well, we can't do it clinically, but we can basically perform our own studies. You know, so six years ago, we... When you, when you tell your community that you're working on a, a sexual enhancement product with marijuana in it, um, a lot of people raise their hand to participate in that, that study. By the and way, my so hand we is eight, up right now. It <laughs> is up. It's been up the entire time. So I think you know, what, we, what we captured early on was that the range of benefits were mind-boggling. It, it was not merely just a whiz-bang, oh, wow, this is kitschy. I think I had a better orgasm. Um, we were hearing so much around therapeutic value in terms of diminishing of discomfort or accessing pleasure um, or with women that were perimenopause or going through menopause in terms of dryness and the challenges they were facing to have pleasurable intimacy. This was way back then, six years ago, we were picking that information up. You know, now we've, we've been able to present this to tens and hundreds of thousands of users and those testimonials have maintained the, the consistent flow. Of, of the broad, you know, the broad benefits that people are reporting. So, I, you know, I wish I could give you a, oh. your, your readers like a specific answer in terms of, yes, we did these clinical trials and then we did the double blind. But you did. You must have tested, right? You must have said, all right, we're going to have a hundred, couple hundred people here go out and then report back to us. And then you would collect data from them. Well, you know, it, it put us in such an interesting place because we were, we were asking people to put drugs on their genitals, right? So that's a, that's a tall order. And so we, from that moment on, we set a standard for ourselves around transparency, around sourcing, around sustainability, and around how we make products that we've never deviated from. And we, we pride ourselves in trying to set a standard for this industry, which is really radically important right now because more than ever, people are cutting quarters and not treating this like a wellness industry. Um, they're treating it like a commodity. They're treating it like a, the tobacco or the alcohol industry, which I think is the absolute worst reference for this industry because it, that's not what this is in our instance. And we've done to make really quality products and make them as clean as possible because of the sensitive nature in which they were being used in the body. Can you talk about some of your your specific products that you offer and and what is resonating with patients and consumers? So the product the company was most well known for was uh, it was called the Weed Lube by the Internet, and we tried to correct that, but the Internet had its way with us because it's <laughs> it, it, you know it's really not it's not a lube in the sense of you're using this specifically for lubrication for dryness, and you you know when you use lube you use a, a lot of it. Um, perhaps, I mean I don't know I'm but oh my goodness the details of your sex life, but actually we want to get into the details of your sex life. 
I, I'll tell you everywhere I, I stick cannabis. Uh, <laughs> that's later in the show. But for, for show title, the the original product was for your pleasure, and it you know the large one ounce bottle has 450 milligrams of active THC in an MCT oil. Um, so fairly fairly straightforward in terms of how to make it. It's it's a very potent product. It's it, we found out, actually, we were the first, I think, to realize that you could take large amounts of THC and introduce them into the body uh, genitally, and no one got high. So that was a, you know, there a light bulb went off that we didn't really fully, fully realize the benefit of for another year. And we put this product out to market in California and Colorado, uh, again, around six years ago. And it created a, a cult, uh, has a cult following. And, you know, it. It's for people that want to explore them, their own bodies in the bedroom. They want to explore with their partner. And it's for people who actually have challenges that, you know, pharmacologically we've not really been able to solve for. And a lot of people who have gone to pain practitioners and have been prescribed opiates for painful intercourse are finding that this magnificent plant is allowing for pain to be diminished and pleasure signaling to pass through. So it's not just pain-free sex, it's pleasurable sex again. For many people, for the first time in decades, this is, you know, this is what they're feeding back to us. And so you can imagine that it created a very, uh, very almost, um, I was going to use the word sacred, but I won't, I won't overreach. It, it created a very special set of conditions with which to create a business around. Sacred is fine, man. There's nothing wrong with that. This is about energy and, and moving energy through your body appropriately. And sex is a definitional part of being a human being. We are animals at our core. And the same way that you need to eat and respire and sleep and shit, you need to fuck. And, and if you're blocked from being able to do that, you're not able to live your most full life. That's right. And so the, that, that's the work that we're doing. We're harnessing cannabis for the sake of for those outcomes. And it is fundamental to be living a full life, to having a full relationship. Whether you're having sex with yourself or with as many partners as you possibly can, um, irrespectively, <laughs> you, you, know, you know, the notion of having access to pleasure in your body um, affects everything else that we do. So we, we realized that we were onto something that was very special and really important. And so we, we moved very slow. Um, we, that was the only product we had for a year, maybe even two years, because we wanted to be close to the clients. We wanted to find out, how are you using this product? How is it helping you? What, you know, what, are there any side effects that we need to know about? Are, are there any type of outside experiences that we didn't anticipate that we need to field and learn about? And we were quickly getting the interest of the medical community because their patients were talking about this. And so they were contacting us. And I got contacted by... Um, a urologist in Los Angeles and I went and I spoke with her and we developed a rapport relationship and she was talking about this, this notion of pain being diminished that we, we, I talked about earlier. That was when we had this aha moment of can we take even stronger amounts of, of cannabinoids and present them intervaginally for yet another hugely underserved um, form of pain that half of our species experiences for decades in the form of menstruation. So we created a vaginal suppository, um, which has a very large amount of cannabis in it. You know, it has 60 milligrams of active Delta 9 THC, and it has 20 milligrams of active cannabidiol. And we put it into cocoa butter, into a suppository, which is an odd word in America, but for a lot of the rest of the world, it's, it's a not unusual form of delivery um, for medicine. And we, the internet immediately called it the weed tampon, <laughs> so, which, uh, oh, you know, if you Google Thank it, you. and now oddly enough, someone actually is trying to launch an actual weed tampon in Europe, um, which is an interesting phenomenon that, you know, that they're trying to take what was a misnaming of our product and turn it into an actual product. Well, and, and you had you, just, just quickly, you know, you had mentioned before, so if you're using this product, um, 60 milligrams is a lot. Um, you are not going to get high. We, we, we don't like to say that definitively. Um, okay. you know, sex is subjective. The experience of using any compound that's active is, is subjective. So there are outliers that we've gathered over the years of people who are saying, no, no, I, I think I did feel high. And we're, we're in no position to tell them what they felt or didn't feel. Uh, so we've, we found that the overwhelming majority of individuals who use high amounts of, of active THC 
vaginally are not reporting any psychoactivity. A little bit higher number when you use it rectally, but that's the next product. So, you know, here we are, we have a vaginal suppository with a lot of THC in it. And, you know, in doing the research around what was the, what is currently available to women for menstrual pain or for pelvic pain, or for PCOS or for endometriosis or for a host of other challenging pelvic conditions, not much. I mean, the research that's being done, not much. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been no breakthroughs. The, the drug that a lot of women reach for, you know, an over-the-counter pain medicine is known to be harmful to the liver if you use it often. Well, menstruation happens often. Uh, there's a drug on the market that was a, a failed hiccup drug that was rebranded for ventral pain. Um, I think it's called Midol. You know, so we've... Midol was a hiccup drug? Yeah, it's a crazy story. You know, a bunch, a bunch of you know, corporate hacks sat around the room and said, "Hey, this drug isn't moving. What can we do to to change it?" So they threw in like, perhaps some new ingredients and they marketed it as a, a menstrual pain reliever. Well, Viagra was a heart medication, so I guess you know crazier things have happened. Nothing wrong with that if indeed it works yeah. and if indeed yeah. it's not harmful to the body in long-term use. And so we are harming each other. Um, we, we are harming women in presenting them this as a sole option. And you know, I'm all for – go ahead. I'm sorry, the, but the whole medical industry is male-dominated, and they, they look at men's bodies and women's bodies as basically the same. And, and oftentimes they don't study test women. Drug. Yeah, yeah, they, they don't test, test drugs, drugs on, on men. Women. They don't test drugs on women. So you, know, you may have a drug that works perfectly on a man, and the, the, the women's chemistry is so fundamentally different that it interacts differently, and, and you don't get the same outcome. So, I mean, it's great that you're— In prevalence and symptoms and response to treatments, women are—we've are, known for decades that they physiologically respond differently to medication. And even in, as recently as the phlebanserin drug that came out, um, and was considered the first female Viagra. When they tested how that was going to interact with alcohol, uh, they tested uh, 92% of the testers were men. So they tested a, a female sexual enhancement <laughs> drug and how it worked with alcohol on men. I hate the world sometimes. Come on. Yeah. So yeah. The, the pharmaceutical industry historically has had an aversion to testing their drugs on women. And we have, we've suffered the consequences. And, you know, with respect to menstruation, you know, we found ourselves in the crosshairs of a pretty important dialogue around why are there not more options? And then we were learning from our community is that women who had experienced other conditions uh, beyond just painful menstrual cramps were coming forward and saying, this is the only thing that's helping for my PCOS or for my endometriosis. And we just get excited. I mean, it's, just, it's not us, it's the cannabis plant. And it's yet another way that it's specifically helping women that we're trying to shepherd this information and capture the information and then educate. You know, in, in, in the instance of this one product, we were approached by uh, a Harvard medical researcher, and she said, look, no one has studied cannabis intervaginally. Nothing's been published. Hard to believe, given that, you know, there's obstetrical and gynecological use of cannabis published from like hundreds of years ago, but nothing in the modern era has been published. I'd like to study it. So she took it to Harvard. They're going to be the IRB for the first of its kind study of uh, this cannabis suppository that we created for menstrual, menstrual pain. And that's, that study is going, it's underway right now, and hopefully it'll be published next year. Just to remind our audience, we're talking with Matt Gerson, the founder and CEO of Foria Wellness. Um, Matt, uh, you know, many, many women, um, especially as they get older and they're going through um, menopause, their their sexual drive diminishes. Have you seen or have, have, have your users been reporting back that by using your products that they are feeling an increased sense of their own sexuality or, you know, how, are, you know, are they wanting, are they, you know, they use your product, are they wanting to get it on more? What is, what's happening? Well, it's interesting. I mean, libido and sex drive are so nuanced, and it, it, if anything, it's not reductive. So I think in the, in the event where you had discomfort and then you had everything else shutting down because you were, it was just uncomfortable, when that's removed and the, you're having access to pleasure again, then your stress, you know, your cortisol levels drop and your stress levels drop and you feel good again and you feel empowered to actually engage in sexual activity. And I think that can turn the system on and drive libido and drive desire. I wouldn't say that the use of our product is going to enhance your sex drive. 
I think it's enhancing your desire for sex because it feels good again. So that's as good a driver as any. I think cannabis, when inhaled, cannabis, when used really um, mindfully and consciously as a psychoactive, can help with sex drive much more than our topicals. Can I ask about your your consumers and if, if you know, we talk about things like edibles and vapes being a good entry point for new consumers or perhaps for consumers who, um, you know, have tried um, cannabis, you know, 20 years ago, had a bad experience and wrote it off. Do you, are, are your consumers cannabis habitual, habitual cannabis users, or are they, is there a segment of your, of your consumer base? That's like, I don't even, cannabis doesn't even, you know, enter in my realm, but this is something that, that I would be interested in. I think early on when we launched the early, the early adopters, the ones that were, they just trusted cannabis and they believed in it. They knew that it had the power to do good for them. They were the ones who said, Oh, fuck yeah, I'm putting weed down there. (laughs) <laughs> and they, they, you know, so they, yeah, that was, and then they wrote about it, they talked about it and they shared. I mean, one of the best things, you know, that is that we can't market, right? We can't, we can't run ads on Google or Facebook, which has been great as a brand that's built on real ethic, you know, built on efficacy because it's your users then that share the story, you know, because I can't go out there and, and spread the story far and wide on the internet. It's, it's truly being spread word of mouth, hand to hand as it were. So I think, Early on, no, it was definitely hand to, hand to vagina, really. Wherever right. the hand wants, wherever <laughs> the hand wants to go. So early on, yes, it was cannabis lovers, it was the aficionados, it was those that had the belief. But I think now, I, I would say that of the larger percentage of our audience of users had, had did not have a relationship with cannabis until they uh, were presented with our products. It wasn't something they were interested in doing because our, our products, again, were were not getting you high. So we were focused below the belt. You know, we were, we were, you know, we're orifice agnostic. We'll, we'll put it anywhere below the belt. And most of the experiences were, were sensual, were sensual in nature. And more people want to have better sex than, than want to get high. So we just had a larger demographic of people that we were trying to have a conversation with. Looking at your demographic, are you seeing, you know, cause you had talked about millennials early. Um, are you seeing that your users tend to be younger or are they more middle-aged people like, like me um, or are we looking at seniors or is it the whole gamut? You know, it's whoever is sexually active on the sex side, you know, on the, on the, the pelvic pain side on, we have rectal suppositories. We also have other wellness products, which are non-gender specific, um, which we can talk about a little bit, but I think we've been fielding information from so many segments of, of individuals. And it's been challenging as a brand because, you know, people are saying, Oh no, you got to pick your demographic and just service them. And, you know, we, the, the plants kind of for us dictate the products that we make and the users are sort of demanding of us a, such a broad spectrum of information. So we are trying to work with senior sex. We are trying to work with perimenopausal and menopause and trying to push that information forward into the industry because people, I want people to be more educated about the, the potential outcomes that they can expect from cannabis or CBD for that matter, because there's so much misinformation out there. So we're using our platform as a tool for education. And we have such an interactive um, community. You know, online, obviously, you're going to skew towards the millennial and younger demographic because of those mediums are more in their hands, literally. Um, but we get so much to our customer care team. It's pretty personal. And it, it is across the spectrum from, from an age standpoint. Speaking of personal, see what I did there? Uh, you know, marketing products kind of sit like, you know, you had alluded to, um, marketing products that sit in the cannabis space and the sexuality space, um, can be very challenging. Like you mentioned, um, you know, you have an amazing Instagram page and I do encourage everyone to go to, uh, wellness, um, to check out some of the images. They are really beautiful that you talk about educating your customers, um, and you do it very unapologetically. Um, and, and that's really refreshing. Have you, can you talk about how, um, you manage that feed and if you've ever been shut down due to some of the content? Um, well, thank you for uh, appreciating it. It, it. Really, that that feed means a lot to us. It's like kind of sort of our form of sex ed, you know, that we can re- reach out into people's lives and have pretty impactful conversations through the use of uh, an image sharing app. Uh, we've been shut down for certain content, you know, we, we and we learn as we go. You know, Instagram only likes so much ass crack. Um, you know, maybe you can get away with a little bit more on Facebook. 
you know, this shadow of a genital potential is okay, but that nipple's a no. You know, it's it's really it's all over the, the place. Nipple. The policies are all over the place. There's there's so much um, wrong with how they approach these topics. But well, they're learning as well. Yeah, yeah. So they're writing the rules kind of as they as we go, right? And certainly we hope that, you know, um, all sex is not looked at equally, that, you know, sex education is, is very different than certain forms of pornography. You know, so we, we do like to push it a little bit, but not with the imagery, more with the content. And, you know, the, the woman who runs that is our chief brand educator. She was, uh, she's a postpartum doula. She's a sexological body worker. You know, she has invested a lot of her life in these topics. So it comes through as being real. Uh, this is not something we could hire out for some PR agency to put up pretty images uh, for us. We've done right. everything in-house really to date, um, which I think is still pretty rare, uh, Very. you know, from packaging to design to, to the web, to social and to PR until very recently. Um, we were always an in-house shop. I, I just feel like there's, you can't get the passion really so often from agencies. You get pitched. And I, I don't really like being pitched. I, I really want people that, are on board because they're moved to do this work. And then you just build a team with that ethos and you win. As the owner of a PR firm, I'm going to just disagree with you. Oh shit. Sorry. That's okay. No, no, man. Look, you know, it's, if that's what your experience has been, that's what your experience has been. But I can tell you, you know, the reason why we're involved in this space from a cannabis perspective is, you know, we got involved because opportunity, but as we learned it, the issues around wellness, the issues around social justice and social equity really speak to not only me and Anne, who are the leaders of the practice, but to the entire team. I mean, we really drink the Kool-Aid so much so that we've even moved into other plant-based medicine type companies that are, are dealing with mental health our mental disease and, and other issues. And, you know, the reason why we, we've been so successful is we are true believers, right? We're not if we're just pitching a story for our clients, our clients are going to fire us. If we are, and this goes for anybody who's listening to this, if you're working with a PR firm and they are not your advocates, not your agency, but your advocates, you're wasting your money. Um, no, well said. And I, and I will take that off the record, but you can keep it in the show. Is that, you know, yeah. we, we have found that we, the cannabis turns people on. And because it, it, it has such phenomenal potential but the therapeutic potential is so real and we all want that we all want to feel like the work that we're doing it's meaningful every single person even if all you care about is money i think on some level you want your work to be meaningful and cannabis brings that in spades so yeah i'm all for finding the right agencies that do get turned on by this and they say hey okay this isn't just another lipstick this isn't just another crappy consumer product that no one really gives a shit about and just gonna end up in a landfill and should be obsolete but sure i'll pitch it to some influencers for you you know, that whole part of the, our world needs to die a fast before it, before it kills us. Um, but cannabis is not that. Now, cannabis is, unfortunately, I'm concerned that in some of the ways people are trying to sell cannabis, they're trying to take a page from those playbooks. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. We just have to be careful right now in so many, in so many ways about how, how we move this industry forward. All right. So you mentioned money, right? And, and cannabis for the last few years, I mean, we named the, the, this podcast The Green Rush because there is legitimately this unbelievable opportunity to convert, you know, an illicit market that's $75 billion into this illicit regulated taxed market. Um, and you guys are an ancillary product. You're not a core product in terms of what you're, you know, smoking or, or edibles. Um, can you talk about the financing behind you guys? Like, how did you start from a money perspective? Um, what are your fundraising goals and needs and where's the business going? Yeah, I mean, it's the, the first couple of years were challenging for the reasons that you just stated, is that we were ancillary to the, the, the consumer intent in the channel, specifically in dispensaries. What was really radically transformational for us as a business was we bifurcated the brand into, you know, cannabinoids derived from hemp and cannabinoids derived from cannabis sativa in regulated markets. And we, that was so impactful for us because we had galvanized kind of the world's attention on the topics of sexual wellness, you know, sexual pleasure, use of cannabis to that end, and menstrual pain. And those were topics that spread far and wide, but people didn't have access to our products. So when we, we decided to make analog products using cannabidiol and other plants, 
uh, because frankly, for a lot of these products, if you just use CBD alone, they're not as effective and they might not be effective at all for some of the things, the outcomes that we're trying to deliver again. Um, a lot of plants just want to work better. They work better together. So that was allowed us to take a tremendous amount of earned media traffic to our site. You know, we get three, four or 500,000 people a month on our website without a lot of media buys. And that's still just from the PR that's continually trickling out there. We could then start to convert them for the first time. And we were also able to take the message of, because I'm, I'm cannabinoid ag agnostic, again, whether it's hemp or cannabis, I think they're going to come back together again in the next few years and stop being too, um, too plants uh, artificially. You know, so we get to take this message and we, we were able to broaden it uh, drastically. You know, we were able to sell into like 150 countries within the first couple of months of turning our online sales on. And so a lot of our focus as a, as a business operationally has moved towards servicing that, that global demand for these products. Because for a lot of people, you know, the, the CBD market, as, as, many, as many flaws as it has, and there are many flaws, um, it is an opportunity for people to start to develop a relationship with cannabis in, in a real meaningful way. And we're happy to present that to them through these, these products. So you know, early on, we had to find some believers. And you know, we took in a, a small round of capital six years ago. And we've done a couple rounds since. You know, we have a fairly good, um, we have some great investment partners that are continuing to support us whenever we need to grow. And we're in a major growth period. I mean, we're opening up a store and an event space in Venice Beach, um, which we really wanted to be a hub for education and to support other good quality brands in um, in cannabis. And we want to have more of a direct point of contact. We're, we like the D2C model more than we like what's happening in mass right now. And so, you know, we are we're actually doing a round right now to service sort of these growth opportunities that um, that are being presented to us. You know, we're just around, we have around 25 people right now that work for the company across two offices in, in Boulder and in Venice. How much are you looking to raise in this round? Uh, in the range of like five to $8 million, something around there. We're just getting into the nitty gritty of it right now. We're trying to take a breath. Um, and, and we, historically, we usually do our, our rounds right around the holidays for whatever reason, it's not the best time to raise, but that's, that's where we find ourselves again this year. But it's exciting because this, you know, we're, we are able to say no. Um, we are able to, to know, you know, to be in a position that we're in to say, Hey, you know, the values alignment has to be there more than it sounds like it's there. It really has to be there in terms of how people, what are people putting their money to work for in the space? If they're in the space, um, it makes a difference for us. Like there are brands that I want to see win and there are brands that I want to see lose because I don't think they're doing right by the plant or they're doing right by the community. Um, whether it's because they're, they're cutting quarters, they're cutting, they're cutting their products. They're not practicing, you know, regenerative or organic farming practices, or they're just, you know, it's a rate, they're racing us all to the bottom. Uh, so I, we'd like to be in a position of discernment with the people that um, we take the money from and, and put it to work. How do you look at your supply chain when it comes to the, you know, the biomass that you're using to, to make the THC and the, the, the CBD for your products? Are you, are you going out into the market and finding the, the right growers or yeah, are it's you? All been, it's been one at a time relationship building. Like I, I grow my own here in Topanga. Um, I had a small farm in Hawaii years ago. You know, we have a real commitment to, Organic Plus, which is not just, you know, USDA mandated organic practices, you know, pesticide free, but actually soil regeneration and, and rebuilding ecosystems. And we know all of the many beneficial attributes that the cannabis and hemp have as a bioaccumulator to really help heal ecosystems if it's cultivated properly. You know, there's there's so much transformation that can have in our in our ag industry as I heard recently that hemp might be the third or fourth largest crop under cultivation right now in the US already. I don't know if that's fact is true, but I can imagine it being true very soon if it's not. So for us, it was, you know, we're, all of this comes from the plant, all of it. You know, we're, we're a pretty bottle and an, an educational tool on behalf of the, the product, which is powered by the plant. I mean, the, the garden has figured out these, these issues a long time ago, and we're trying to refigure them out in the lab. And for us, the, the quality of the, the soil, the quality of the farming practices were paramount to a good quality product. So you know, we found the farmers, the farmers that we liked what they were doing, and we just developed those relationships. I mean, one of the, what we do in California 
it's been consolidated through Flocana. You know, so Flocana is a pretty well-known brand now in the state of California, and they aggregated together all of these small, micro, multi-generational farms that you know had phenomenal farming practices in place, and they gave them a, a way to get to market and stay alive, and not to go out of business in, in the legal market. Matt, I want to. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. Uh, go ahead. Hey, Molly. Oh no, I was gonna. That's not Molly. <laughs> you know, That's not oh, Molly. Oh, oh. There's. There's dogs all over the place here. I, I no, it's usually my dog here. barking, so it's awesome. That I was like so excited that it was not my dog. You know, so I, I think you know we're we're scratching the surface, right? So we, our, our products can get, if anything, they can only get better with the research, with further research, with better understanding of of our own endocannabinoid systems, with better understanding of of cannabinoid profiles and what these different cannabinoids do um, with respect to these types of outcomes that we're driving. So, you know, we are looking to develop relationships with farmers that will allow us to get more specific with cultivars. And and again, that's just informed by the information that we've been picking up over the past five or six years. And it's just beginning. Um, but I, I always hope, I'm hopeful that more and more brands um, realize the importance of having a real anchored relationship to their farms, whether they're their own farms or they're, they're using a third party. It's just, it, it is so critical to the health of the industry. I fear that we're just going to go into a, a monocrop, big ag model. Um, and, you know, the, that's most likely not going to give us the best possible outcomes. I'd like to go back for a moment to uh, fundraising. And um, we love entrepreneurial stories. So um, being venture backed, can you talk about what your first VC meeting was like when you're pitching this like sex tech slash cannabis slash female wellness concept? What was the reception like? And um, was there was there a woman in the room from your team? Uh, there was one in the room from our team, um, and my wife was there as well, who's also uh, part-time on our team, but she's a functional medicine health coach. Um, you know, I, I turned away almost all of the institutional money early on. Um, you know, I, I've had some not-so-great experiences as a social entrepreneur, um, getting in bed with individuals of that, um, that orientation in terms of, you know, what are they committed to? What, what are the outcomes that they're committed to? And sometimes the monetization, you know, the monetization is driving every decision. And so we had to say, we had to say no a lot. And which sounds strange. You think, you know, you're young, you're, you're hungry, you've got to grow, you've got to stay alive, you'll take whatever money comes in. I always encourage um, young entrepreneurs to, to try to be as discerning as you can be. And the best way to do it is to be really scrappy for as long as you can be and don't overspend. Um, so you don't find yourself in a position where you have to take money from the wrong partner. Uh, so we we found a partner that was respectful of the importance of this work and recognized that this was going to be a slow build. This was not going to be a, a pump and dump. This wasn't going to be a, just ramp this thing out into the industry. We we were doing something that had never been done before, and they were going to give us a lot of space to, to do this right, um, to develop these relationships, to properly develop the brand, to develop the suite of products and um, you can't rush these things. You can't rush the sex. You know, you you know, it makes it makes sense that we wouldn't apply those conditions to you know how we operate internally. Uh, so, our current uh, venture partner is Green Gotham, who you guys are familiar with, and so we've been working with them for for a few years now, and it's it's been remarkable. It's it's really been a great um, a great time working with them and getting all the space and support that we need to to build this brand. You know, you talked earlier about, um, you know, your your former life with um, with a condom company and the the kind of social um, responsibility. What what lessons did you learn from from that experience? Are you applying to Foria? Oh, God, that's a whole nother episode. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, maybe like specifics, like how are you giving back? What's you know, what's your strategy there? Well, interesting. Before I got into condoms, I'd spent 10 years studying to be a monk. So I had a very strange orientation to getting into business and to getting what, into what kind of the monk? sex industry. I was studying Tibetan Buddhism. So that took me on a, a different path. I spent a lot of time living in the woods. And you know what brought me to business was truly social impact and trying to do something decent with my, with my life. So you know the, the money piece is important. But it's never been the primary driver of, of what motivates me. And I, I've been fortunate to try to attract people in the building of teams um, that also feel that same motivation. Uh, in terms of, you know, the giving back, uh, my, my relationship to tithing and to, um, 
you know, uh, conscious consumption, as it were, has certainly evolved over the years. And I think a lot of that is used to distract people and to give, take off the guilt for buying something that they probably don't need. Uh, so, you know, I have a fairly harsh perspective on a lot of how that industry is uh, marketed itself. But, you know, the core essence of things being, you know, can you make a product that has the least possible impact possible? Um, granted, if we're making products and we're extracting resources and our products have downstream consequences, can you own it? Can you make it better? Can you orient to better and better um, forms of environmental responsibility? And how are you going to do it? Um, so we hired a firm from Patagonia. Uh, we were their first cannabis client to do a whole deep dive into our supply chain to look at every single thing that we make, every single thing that we touch, and how we could do it better. And so now we have a path that we're going to be kind of announcing early next year to rebrand, not rebranding the company, but redoing our packaging, uh, redoing how we, it is that we make products uh, as we're now more aware of some of the consequences of some of the decisions that we've made in terms of the types of glass we were using or the types of paper that we were using and it's the better options that were available to us. So it sounds small, but you got to start with what you're actually making first and trying to make it as clean as possible. We have a standard that says if an input is available in USC organic, we will always put USC organic in our product. We're, we're making wellness products. If, why would you cut a corner on something so basic and so accessible? There's a lot of shit that we can't change. Um, so we got to do the, a much better job on the things we can change. So for us, you know, the environmental orientation is paramount because this is an industry based on a plant. Uh, so that's that's the direction we're trying to, to move our business in. And just to remind everybody, we're talking with Matt Gerson, the founder and CEO of Foria Wellness. Matt, um, I, I am a true believer that we really only learn from failure. Um, you know, success you can stumble into, but failure you own and the pain that you come from that failure informs how you move forward. Can you talk about a, a significant failure that you've had, whether it be in business or in life, and how it impacted on how you built for you? Well, I mean, yeah, there's, I know the road to failure pretty well. I mean, I've, I've tried to launch a number of social ventures um, throughout the past 20 years, and uh, most of them failed financially, and they were in varying degrees successful as forms of inspiration that I, I believe possibly changed the way uh, one or two minds perhaps looked at um, certain industries and, and maybe got involved in, in ventures that were successful financially and, and could survive and thrive. Um, early on, I think my naivety and idealism, you know, weren't well married to the, you know, the, the gravity, <laughs> you know, the physical laws of running a business. Uh, so, you know, the, the learnings I took from, you know, my last venture specifically was really just to recognize where my weaknesses were and to find people of, of real noble character that carry those strengths and to really respect them and to lift them up and let them thrive and let them shine with on those topics that they really cared about and were really good at. And even if it was, even if it was finance, um, you know, because if you're a social venture, um, oftentimes you, you downplay uh, the financial piece. And the other way of looking at it is, you know, the more, people we're serving, the more product we sell, as it were, the more people we're serving. Uh, so they go hand in hand. I mean, that's why cannabis is so beautiful is that you know, we're, growth is a function of impact and impact is a function of growth, right? It's not just that, oh my God, I'm so excited. We sold more of our crappy product this month and I'm making more money. It's that the excitement is coming out of the fact that people are sharing with us these stories of how this plant's changing their life. So we're motivated to do more of that. And as a result, the company gets healthier. The company you know, creates more wealth. So that, I don't know if I hedged on the answer. I think no, that was, that was I have to example. tell you, we've asked this question probably of 20, 25 people so far. I think your answer was the best one that we've had yet because it was honest. You know, most people, when they are asked about failure, they're like, I've never failed. And that's their ego standing in, in the way and owning failure and understanding that 
that she's a, 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 a nasty bitch, but a great teacher. Um, and if you can learn from failure, you can move forward. I mean, I, I have failed so many times in my life and I consider myself to be a success today because of all of the mistakes I've made. None of the successes has led to my success today. It's every mistake that I've ever made. And owning that is really important, especially for an entrepreneur. And most of the people that are listening to this now or will be listening to this later have an interest in in the business of cannabis in entrepreneurship and you know honesty is the is is the most powerful tool that you can use no i appreciate that it's very well said um and i think you know the what helps a lot is when you're if you're setting out to do something because you want to do it and you want to prove it to someone when you fail you're you're less likely to own that failure because it's just, it's like a shame. There's shame that you fail. But if you're setting out to do something good for someone other than yourself, you're you're a little bit more fearless. And then when the failure comes, it's not about you. It's it's a, if you have this opportunity to really look at it and to say, oh shit, you know, failure happens. You know, how can I be discerning and how can I like in your words, how can you really learn from this and move it forward? Because I think you're right. I mean that's. That's the only way to move move into success is through a proper, um, you know, analysis of where you went wrong all the other times. The cannabis industry in general is still incredibly young. Let me rephrase that. The legal cannabis industry, as we know it, is still young, but um, moving really quickly. And Foria Wellness was found. You mean uh, this 10,000-year-old fad that we're all experiencing? Exactly. It's That's never I, going away. Exactly. <laughs> so I said legal. Um, and you guys were really found as as a niche. What advice would you give to anyone looking to break into the cannabis industry right now? Is it too late? Well, first or... all, sex, sex is not a niche. Anyone's <laughs> going to tell me that sex is a niche in human life. or ple- ple- Let's broaden that. Like pleasure is not a niche. Being out of pain is not a niche. You know, be having less anxiety is not a niche. Uh, you know, so... Uh, I don't remember what your question was, but we're not a niche. <laughs> we're not a niche brand. But I guess my uh, so my I get my question was what advice would you give to anyone looking to break into the cannabis industry now? Oh my God, I, I would want them to come up to my house and spend the week with me, um, <laughs> and I hope they don't. Maybe they're all going to show up. Um, yeah, it's important. We I, again, I want to take here's all the things we did wrong that you don't have to do wrong. Um, you know, and I think that. The thing we did wrong the most was that we would we would drink people's Kool-Aid when they were telling us that the size of their grill and the size of their production facility and the size of everything. And all of a sudden I was like, yeah, I was back selling condoms and everyone's telling me how big it is. And I'm like, oh my God, this is not what matters. We need quality people that can that can be humble. They can say we're trying to build the most quality outfit. We're trying to build, you know, the most comprehensive approach to this what, what these things that we're tackling. You know, we fell prey to a lot of that early on. And, um, you know, to speak frankly, it's a whole bunch of people with real estate experience who own licenses and they don't understand brand and they don't understand client or you know community building or having relationships with customers. Hopefully they can hire for it. Um, but, you know, their orientation was misaligned and we got better over the years in recognizing that earlier. So, you know, this relates, this business is extraordinarily interdependent. This is not the Horatio Alger myth where you can be like the self-made anything. It's extraordinarily codependent from one sector to the next. So, you know, be extraordinarily discerning in who you decide to partner with because you're going to have to. And if you partner with the wrong people, it's extraordinarily painful and it can take you down. You know, that, you know, we're working on that piece of character development with the person getting into the space, I think is extraordinarily important. Have you had any mentors in your career that, that have really stuck out? And, and also, do you mentor people who don't work for you but who are, who are looking for help? Um, well, my mentors right now and are really, in all honesty, the people that have come on board on this team because it's, it's been remarkable for me as a social entrepreneur who kind of Again, I often come from through this lens of idealism, and then I fall on my face. Uh, to 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 have people with such amazing skill sets uh, coming in and working together, and and figuring out how to work together in the service of a common goal, and how much more powerful that is um, than the top-down notion of like making something happen and forcing it. 
uh, you know, it's, it's more of the emergent phenomenon of a complex system where you, you create a, a certain degree of complexity and harmony and, and a higher level of order emerges out of that. And that's more, I think, aligned with how living systems operate than how we tend to operate in corporate America, um, which sort of diminishes and inhibits that type of natural growth. Um, you know, the economic growth is more cancerous and malignant than growth for the sake of complexity, which is for the sake of diminishing some form of discomfort and enhancing pleasure. I think those are great forms of growth. Uh, so for me, those, those mentors right now are found in my day-to-day workings with, with my team and the, and the whole ecosystem of partners that we've created. Um, in terms of, am I mentoring? I mean, we're about to move into a fairly public-facing phase of our business because we're opening up a store and have, we're going to have an event space where we're going to try to do a lot of educating. And I love sitting on panels. I love having conversations with people. We, we've been approached by some um, individuals that have launched similar products to ours, and we've done our best to mentor them. Um, the world needs more good quality cannabis products in and out of the bedroom. Um, by no means are we looking to corner a market. This market is billions of people. We've only serviced a couple hundred thousand. I mean, so I'd be completely delusional to think that there's competition. There's, there's so much potential for collaboration, um, but you need to get over that fear that there's not enough. And so, you know, I'm always excited to, to talk to people that want to get into this industry for the right reasons and to help them out where I can. We ask, we're, we're at the end. You've made it. Congratulations. <laughs> I just laid down on the sofa. <laughs> oh, that's cool. Put your feet up. Well, you know what? Yeah. Screw it. Then I'm going to, before we ask the last question, I want to ask a personal question. You didn't ask me where I put cannabis in my body. Well, I, I was, was going to ask to tell you. My so, wife's so, looking at me. She's smiling. <laughs> well, so I'm going to ask you about you and your wife. Um, okay, great. What role do your products play in your life? I mean, there we don't have kids, right? So I don't have kids yet. I just recently got married. So our oh, our products, other than uh, thank you, our, other than our our dogs, these products are as um, our children almost. I mean, we we do take them to bed with us, literally and figuratively, and we we hold them uh, with an extraordinary sense of the sacred, in terms of you know this. It's so. I mean, look, this, all of us on this call, like we're getting to be a part of the creation of what will become the, perhaps one of the most important industries ever to come out of the modern industrial state. You know, with the, the power of plant-derived medicine to both you know, therapeutically impact people's lives in a real way where pharmacologically we've not been able to solve for, just on a one-for-one basis of um, diminishing pain, to potentially having some more transformative potential in terms of our worldview and how we look at ourselves on this planet and how we have respect again and have love again for the things that keep us alive. And we might find ourselves in a position of wanting to fight for and care for these things more if we fall back in love with them. And a great way to fall back in love with the plant is to bring it into the bedroom with you um, or to use it in a way that's really changing how you feel in your body and you're not in pain all the time. So that still makes my hair stand up. I'm still excited. I'm honored and excited to be having these types of conversations and, you know, 50, 60, 80 years from now, um, you know, the river is going to be having moved along in a certain direction. And these minor changes that we hopefully can put forward today are going to have some really serious impact on where this place ends up. Um, so again, I don't remember what you asked me, but, uh, <laughs> that's okay. No, I asked you how, how the, how your products play a role in your own life. Um, so now where do you stick them? Oh, yeah. So, I mean, we're constantly tinkering with new products. Like, I've been trying to make a product for men for six years. <laughs> so I've had to try everything imaginable um, in terms of, you know, using cannabis for, for vitality, for sexual enhancement, because we've been asked for so many years, why don't you have anything for men? And obviously, we went through the reasons as to why. I, we didn't talk physiologically why, but culturally and socially why, because there already are so many things for men and there are so few things for women. Um, but we get to experiment a lot with our products. You know, one thing I do like to share with people is that, you know, my wife has um, some serious uh, cramping with her cycle and my, our suppository does not work for her. And so I think it's really important that people hear that is that, you know, I'm always tinkering with herbalists trying to make these products better because they are working so profoundly for so many. They're not working so profoundly for everyone, including my wife. And that's really important to like set the expectation for what the plant might do 
based on what we know about our own bodies and our own endocannabinoid systems and how we're working with these plants, everyone being so distinct, everyone being so different. Uh, so in terms of sex, um, you know, I, I don't smoke a lot of cannabis anymore. I do grow it here at home. We mostly create oils for friends who are severely sick. Um, I do accidentally get high on my own stuff all the time. Um, <laughs> and it just, it just happens. How does that um, happen? You like trip? Literally? Um, well, there's all kinds or of figuratively? happen. Figuratively? No, like literally. Like, uh, cause I will be a little cavalier with measuring something that I'm making a small batch for someone. And then I'll of course te- test it to see what the level of psychoactivity is, especially if I'm giving someone a medicine that has, you know, active THC in it. I prefer a microdose these days over anything. Um, I have some strong opinions about uh, the dabbing part of this culture, which I can withhold for another conversation. Um, but I feel that in the bedroom and for playing music, for introspection, for connecting with my partner, for connecting with nature and the things that I care about in this life, a microdose is really just enough for me um, to reorient my awareness and more towards the heart and out of my head. And that's all that I'm really looking for for, from, for psychoactivity, just a, a nominal shift. Um, I do love to put cannabis in my ass. I have a, I do have a low L1 herniated disc and some sciatica that it can be really effective in diminishing the inflammation and helping with that pain when it acts up. But also before having sex, it's nice to let the whole body relax and, you know, using a, a rectal suppository of, of high dose of THC and, and CBD can, can have that response. It has it for me. My shoulders drop, my breath deepens, my belly relaxes. Um, you know, I'm, How long I'm still running, you have I'm sex still running you... it start. Um, you know, usually 20 to 30 minutes for the suppository and I'll, I'll put it in, um, as far as foreplay and then it just melts and you feel your body start to relax. It's sort of a deep central nervous system relaxation. It's not profound. I don't feel any type of psychoactivity. Um, my wife might notice if I took one at work. If I was in pain at work and I took one, when I come home, I might seem a little bit more relaxed. Um, but again, I think that's one of the things the plant is trying to offer us. Like we're, we're moving a little too fast. I mean, a lot of us are having a hard time keeping up, and there's a lot of health consequences as a result. And the plant kind of slows us back into the present. What we end up doing in the present is on us. Um, so that can be good or bad, depending on your relationship with the plant. But it does give us a chance to slow down and be more present. So I don't have a good transition, but what I'm going to ask is, <laughs> I really don't. Sorry. Um, Why? You don't want to talk about shoving stuff up, shoving stuff up his or our asses collectively? We talk about Mary Janel, you know, cantilingus. We got all kinds of fun. Yeah, but but we're actually, we're, we're an hour in and we want to be respectful. Your, by the way, phenomenal conversation. And thank you so much for giving us so much of your time. Oh, these are great. And I, I, I was prepped that you guys were great conversationalists. So I was really looking forward to this and, and happy to, maybe we can meet again in person. Well, so Anne is there. I'm going to be in LA in two weeks at Cannabis World Congress and Business Expo. Um, if you're there, I'd love to meet. I popped out, I, you know, I, we did a deal with Canopy a long time ago and I met with the now current CEO of Canopy there at that World Expo a couple of years ago. Um, we could talk about that deal in person. <laughs> it's <be> cool. no longer. <laughs> yeah, well. But yeah, you know, let, let me know when you're when you're in town, and um, we're on Abikini in Venice, our offices, and we'll be moving over to Rose here in a couple months. So uh, we'd love to have you guys stop by the store when it opens, or when we have some events. Come on by. Great. Thank you so much. We really appreciate all the time that you uh, that you took. No, no, no. While you were be... sleeping, you got to ask the while you were sleeping. Uh, okay. Okay. So, uh, while you were sleeping, so this is a question we ask all of our guests. Um, and you know, if you open, if you, you know, woke up tomorrow morning and, you know, opened up the LA times or the New York times, what's the one story, um, that you want to see about this industry that you feel is not being told? You know, I think if there were just one thing, I mean, obviously I would love to see a nationwide decriminalization of this plan. As, as a massive first step for rectifying the wrongs that have been perpetrated um, to a specific minorities of our culture. And that would be a, a huge movement in the right direction towards um, 
medical research towards you know recreate, recreational use on a nationwide level. But I think before we get there, we got to right the wrongs and decriminalization and an expungement would be a great fucking headliner for me tomorrow morning. Our thanks to Matt Gerson, founder and CEO of Foria Wellness. Check them out at foriawellness.com and on their awesome Instagram page at Foria Wellness. As always, if you want to chat with us, you can find us on Twitter with the handle at the underscore Greenrush or on Instagram at the Greenrush underscore podcast. As always, you can drop us an email at greenrush at kcsa.com. Um, it's been a while since we got any hate mail. Please bring it. I'm waiting for more hate mail. Fuck Donald Trump. That should get me some hate mail right there. Um, we're always looking for your feedback, um, guest ideas, questions that you want us to be asking, anything. And please don't forget to subscribe and rate and review The Green Rush in your favorite podcatcher. That's one take, Shay. One motherfucking take.